The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Uh very happy to be with you this morning and happy to share my guest with you, Jen- Jennifer Mag- Maganay. And I wanted to ask you, do you believe you're a woman with a with chutzpah? Do you believe you have good investigative skills? And if you are, private investigator Jennifer Maganay will be an inspiration. She is a traditional private investigator in many respects. She works on missing persons cases, fraud, property recovery, domestic, civil, and criminal cases. But she's also a fugitive recovery agent. Jennifer is going to discuss her adventures and what it's like to be a female in this male-dominated profession. And a little background for you on Jennifer. She comes from a law enforcement family dating back to the 30s. She went in the military, and following that, she became a paralegal, working on family law, employment, civil and criminal law, personal injury, real estate, business law, workers' compensation. All really good background for becoming a private investigator. So then after logging her 27 years as an investigative paralegal, she and her husband David opened their investigation company, Megan A. Investigations, LLC, and they live and work in Oregon. Jennifer and David work as a team, and together they take on all kinds of cases from things like cold missing persons cases, recovery of stolen property, uh, service of process, well, hard to locate witnesses, civil and criminal litigation, ID theft, international fraud, workers' compensation cases, and domestic relation issues, along with fugitive recovery. So Jennifer is the only female fugitive recovery agent in Oregon, and she assists law enforcement and bail companies with fugitive recovery there. Um, Since 2008, she's been the Northwest Regional Director for the Oregon Association Licensed Investigators, where she is a member, and in her community, she served on the Committee for the City of Salem, Oregon's Multicultural and Tourism Board. She is a moderator of the Women's Email Group, Worldwide Women, Female Legal Investigative Professionals, uh, commonly known as FLIP, F-L-I-P. And I would like to welcome Jennifer Meganay. Thank you for being with me, Jennifer. Thank you, Francie. I'm, I'm very excited about today. <laughs> I'm very excited about having you. So let's, let's go back to... Um, why did you decide to go into the military? Well, I, I, I was born and raised in the South. And in the, the early 70s, uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a lot of, uh, I think, uh, racial tensions. Uh, 
civil rights was uh, uh, coming full force down in the South. And um, I was one of those kids that had to be bused to a different school, taken out of my own uh, school that, you know, was considered whites only. Mm -hmm. And we had to be bused. And I just felt there was a lot, you know, a lot of unfairness. And the answers I was getting from the people I trusted the most, which was, of course, my parents, just didn't jive with what I was feeling inside. So I decided after I graduated from high school um, and I did some college, uh, University of Kentucky for a while, um, I, I felt the only way to, to get out from underneath that and to find out for myself was to join the military. Well, and you and I were just talking a few minutes ago offline, and you were telling me how you just seen the movie The Help. I haven't seen the movie, but I've read the book, and it's um, an amazing uh, portrayal of that era. And um, you could relate to The Help. Oh, definitely, yes, yes. We had maids, and and uh, we were told not to to play with the, the children, and and we had to use separate. Uh, bathrooms, the whole thing, you know, so when I was watching this movie, I thought, oh my God, you know, it came all rushing back. I remember those days and, and, uh, you know, whites only and, and, uh, matter of fact, I think there are still places down there that you find, still find those signs. And it was very disturbing growing up. And I, the answers I was getting is like, why? There are people too, mom and, or dad, you know, and oh no, we don't associate with that. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. So I had to find out on my own. So that's join the military. <laughs> join the military was the way you got. And and as we were talking about at, the, at during that time, women were raised. Women, I should say, girls were raised to. Um, in in my situation, my mother was a teacher. So you were either uh, to become a teacher, or you were going to stay at home and be a mom and raise lots of kids. That's right. It was you know teacher or nurse. You know caring. Or a nurse, for right. Caring for others, and I just, I wasn't like that. I had two older sisters, four younger brothers. I was very much a tomboy. You know, I wanted to, to fix cars. I wanted to play basketball, and I was just told, you know, you can't do that, Jennifer. You just, you know, learn how to cook and sew and, and be a homemaker, and I figured the only way to get away from that control was if Uncle Sam had, had the power, you know. Yes. I remember, you're just a girl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what branch of the military did you go in? I served in the Army. Uh-huh. I had my basic training in Fort McClellan, Alabama. And uh, then I went to my, uh, what they call uh, MIS or my advanced training, which was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Uh-huh. And uh, that's actually where I first met my husband 35 years ago. Wow. Wow. Uh, so did did you ever get out of the South? <laughs> uh, eventually I did. Uh, my first uh, uh, duty station was Fort Riley, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and from Fort Riley, Kansas, then I got stationed at, uh, in Hawaii, Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. And were you, you must have been married to your husband then. Yes. My yeah. husband, I got married uh, after uh, about a year of being in uh, Fort Riley. And uh, most of our friends were minorities. <laughs> and in those days, it seemed that majority of the uh, uh, boot camps that we were going through, uh, I'd say about 60, 65, 70 percent were uh, minorities that were going into the military because jobs were hard and and um, education. They wanted education and couldn't get it the normal way. you mm-hmm. know. So a lot of them joined the military so they could get the, the benefits of uh, the GI Bill. Okay. You know, that, make, that makes sense. And then um, how long were you actually in the military? 
I served for two. My husband served for eight. So we were military for a total of about uh, nine years altogether. Yeah, and uh, got out while we were in Hawaii. Stayed there for about 22, 23 years in Hawaii. So you became a paralegal in Hawaii. Yes, yes. After I got out of the military uh, and I had a, a child while I was in the service. And in those days, you could make a choice of either staying in the military uh, after having a baby or get out. Uh, they call it a, a, a chapter. Uh, I forget. I think it was like 14 or something. So I decided it was too hard to to nurse and make babies and, and you know, all this kind of and, and go out and do bivouac and and, uh, you know, go away for six months and stuff. So I, I had to, it was a tough choice, but they really made it hard for women in the seventies when you were, um, you know, having a family, they weren't, you know, it was military first, then family. It sounds like you loved it. Oh, I did. I, I, I liked the structure of it. I liked the training and I liked the, uh, the, uh, learning of different cultures and, um, just the, uh, it's, it's military is a life within itself, uh, very different from civilian life. Mm-hmm. There's a camaraderie that you develop, and I still have friends from my basic training days back in the 70s. We correspond even today. And then how did you, how did you transition from that into the paralegal work? Well, I think with what for me was my upbringing in the South, plus seeing a lot of the uh, inequalities, you know, people not being treated the same just based on certain things, either they were a woman or they were they weren't white or, you know, their fi- financial situation. I just kind of leaned that way. Um, and so after military, I decided to, uh, I wanted to make a difference. <laughs> so I just put myself through school, uh, paralegal school, and I, I studied actually civil rights. And um, that's kind of how I got started was uh, after I got in the military, I wanted to make a change in the legal field. So I wanted to become a paralegal, an investigative paralegal. So what, so what year was that, Jennifer? That was in 80, I believe, 84. Okay. All right. So you spent you spent 27 years doing that. And how did you decide to become a private investigator? Um, because I, I found that actually I was doing all the work. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I worked for a lot of attorneys. I did a lot of different types of, of you know, I did civil litigation, criminal litigation. Uh, and I, I enjoyed the work. Uh, I love the, the going out and doing the intake, you know, meeting with the clients, uh, getting the history, researching, you know, finding the hard to locate witness of something, you know, the, the attorney said, you know, we, we don't have this case if we don't have the witness. And it was my job to go find them. After doing that for so long, I felt, well, you know, I have a skill here, you know, and um, I was tired of actually answering to someone else. <laughs> so I decided to uh, go out on my own and open up my own business. Well, you know, I have to ask you that, you know, because there's a lot of, um, mm, I don't know how to word this, maybe not, it's not dissension, but, um, questions about paralegal, people who are paralegals doing investigative work and whether they, whether or not they should be licensed. How do you feel about that? Well, I think they should. I mean, uh, they have the training, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I remember having to draft, um, motions. Uh, and the complaints for the attorneys, and then they would just tweak it. Uh, but a lot of the 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 uh, lump of the case was based on what we paralegals uh, put together, mm-hmm. doing the groundwork, doing the you know going to the law library, researching case laws, you know putting it putting it together. So it's more or less if we felt that the case was strong, that we had you know um, 
you know, court opinion that would back it, whatever, then we presented it to the attorney and say, hey, this is a case we're taking on, you know, and, and it was hard not being licensed ourselves or getting the credit for the case. But, um, you know, when you win, um, it, it's a big victory, but the victory always went to the attorney. You know, right. I got a tap on the shoulder, if that, you know. And and you were you were essentially in some cases doing what what private investigators consider the kind of work they do, correct? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, uh, so you decided to become a PI. And yes. now, was was David your husband already a private investigator or not? No, um, actually, my uh, husband is works for the state. He's a corrections officer. Okay. So he works at on death row, and before that, he worked with uh, youth corrections uh, for many years. And so he was a drug and alcohol and sex offender counselor. Uh huh. So we kind of combined our smarts. Uh, he has a lot of uh, insight to, you know, gang stuff, drug, you know, issues, uh, um, you know, sex offender issues. And so, uh, you know, with all his years of working for the Department of Corrections, uh, he he had the the uh, background because he has to do investigations while while in corrections. He decided to also become an investigator and we kind of joined forces. Okay. Well, we need, we need to take a quick break, Jennifer. Private investigator Jennifer Mang, I'm going to mess up your name here. Mag and I. Mag and I. We'll be right back. Thanks. <laughs> talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. 
My guest, Jennifer Meganay, works as a private investigator and fugitive recovery agent in Oregon. Jennifer, you were just saying that your husband, David, is a correctional officer, and he's also a private investigator. So I guess he's worked it out with the state, which is state of Oregon, correct? Yes. Worked it out with the state. So as long as he doesn't cross the line and work on something that would be in conflict, um, that he can operate as a, a licensed private investigator. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, what is what is required in Oregon to get a license? Uh, In Oregon, you have to have at least 1,500 hours of of in-kind or prior experience, as well as uh, you have to have three uh, references from people that you've done work for. Uh, For for example, for myself, it would have been attorneys that I had worked for. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to take a state exam, which is actually an open book exam. uh, it's a list, I think, around 50 questions. Uh, you have to pay the fee, which is $550 in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, fingerprinting back, you have to be fingerprinted and uh, pass a background, FBI background check. And uh, then you have to get bonded. You don't necessarily have to be insured, but you have to be bonded. Okay. All right. Interesting. So did you guys both, you and David, both get your licenses at the same time? No, actually, I went first. And uh, actually, all I did was, you know, put the paperwork together and set up a time to take the state exam, and I passed it. David wanted to make sure that if I actually passed, then he would join me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. you, were, you were the test case. <laughs> I was, yes, he wanted to make sure if I could do it, he could do it. So uh, <laughs> once I did, I did it, and I passed. Um, I, I, you know, being a, a female and a veteran, um, I opened up, you know, Magni Investigations LLC. Um, then about a month later, he decided to go and challenge the state exam, and he did. He passed it, too. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah. really funny. So how long ago was that? Uh, back in 2005. Okay. And what? And you have gotten involved in all kinds of interesting cases since then. Uh, what was your first case as a PI? My first case was a domestic issue. A woman, her husband had been married for 22 years, and she suspected that uh, he was uh, cheating on him. Mm-hmm. And that was our first case, was doing some uh, background work and uh, some surveillance. And, and what? And did you find that, that okay. there was cheating? Oh, sure enough, him and his assistant. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and interesting, I just, out of interest, what... What was the wife's reaction when you gave her the news? She had a gut feeling. And I, I always tell people, too, if they suspect, you know, and they see certain changes, you know, I kind of have like an outline I always um, go over with, with the potential clients that if you suspect certain things, and I have a list I go through, you know, he's uh, showering now every day and changing his appearance or, you know, working late or, you know, don't answer my cell phone, you know, just certain things. Um, usually the woman's right, or it could be the other way around. The man's right. You know, if they've, they've been married for a while and they see certain changes, usually mm-hmm. that is, is correct, but they want verification. They want you to, to verify for them that, that what you, they suspect is true. Okay. So, uh, she wasn't really surprised. She was hurt, but it wasn't really surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, did you start doing fugitive recovery right away or were you doing that? prior to getting your license? No, actually, I, I started doing that about two uh, two years later. Uh, I noticed that there was a need for it in Oregon. Um, for some reason, a lot of people, uh, fugitives seem to come to Oregon because they think that there's no uh, bail, uh, bailsman, I mean, uh, 
bail bondsmen's here, you know, and so they think they get a free ride if they come back to Oregon or mm. uh, to Oregon. Uh, but we do have fugitive recovery, um, and I noticed that there was a need for it. I started getting calls for it, so I kind of decided I was going to kind of look into it and uh, see what was involved. So I had talked to other uh, investigators that used to do it that said, oh, there's no money in it and, you know, it takes a lot of time and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, it's never really been about the money. It's always been about um, the case. I, I I always get interested in the kind of cases. Sometimes I, I do a lot, you know, maybe five, ten pro bonos a year uh, because it's more or less about the case. Mm-hmm. But, so uh, no, nobody said to you, uh, you can't do it because you're a girl? Uh, yeah, I did get that. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah, you know, especially said, well, at your age, I'm like, what are you talking about my age? Just them <laughs> saying that said, whoop, that's it, I'm doing it, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, at first, they, no, women don't do it. And I said, well, you, you, you're, you're talking to somebody who, you know, is the opposite. I, I, I love a challenge. So what is, what do you do as a fugitive recovery agent? Well, uh, what happens is um, I, I mostly I get a call from someone in an, either a different state or sometimes even in our own state, a uh, government office that has a, a fugitive they've been looking for for a while and seems to to uh, always be one step ahead of them. And they'll call me and ask if it's something that I, I think I can do. And so I kind of, you know, give me a little history on the fugitive. Um, and then send me the paperwork and, you know, let me see what's going on. And I, I kind of study it first to take a day or two to look at it to, to make sure this is something I want to do. And um, if it's interesting enough and I think the guy needs to be off the street or the gal, um, I'll call him back and tell him I'll take the case. And um, then I, I go to work. So do you actually go out and make the recovery yourself or are you doing the background? No, I actually go out. Do uh, you? Yes, I. Uh, what I usually do is um, you have, uh, you know, you study the fugitive. You know, you look at his background, and three things uh, always uh, keep uh, helps you to find where the fugitive is. Uh, and I always keep it in in mind: is mommy, girlfriend, and money. You follow those okay. three, you'll you'll find the fugitive. Um, especially, if, uh, uh, and and that's usually how I do it. They they stay close to, or where their mommies are or um, where a girlfriend or their former uh, lover was, and uh, where they can always get money. So um, that's the trail that I usually uh, follow. And um, this this one interesting case I had, the uh, the guy was actually not in uh, Oregon. He was in California. But, uh, you know, he'd been eluding for about two and a half years, and he was a pretty bad guy. And uh, so they said, you sure you think you can get him? I said, oh, yeah. So what I did is I contacted his last girlfriend, and uh, we set up a, a rouge, and he he came up to Oregon to, to visit, and we were waiting for him. Interesting. Yeah. So so are you armed? Yes. Okay. You have a carry permit? Yes. I guess concealed carry? Yes. And is that difficult to get in Oregon? Uh, no, not really. No. Not really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, so have you... I have so many questions <laughs> about this uh, because I can't. I actually can't imagine doing this myself. So I'm, you know, trying to put my my mindset in uh, doing it. So, um, do you ever go out by yourself? Yes, yes. You do. I, Just go knock on the door and say, "Is he here?" Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, you always take the uh, the cautions. It's you know, with with any job, um, uh, you know, I, I uh, I'm always 
you know, make sure that I'm, I'm protected. Um, you know, you know, you don't always go front to the door. You go off to the side. You're, you're, you know, you're padded. Make sure that, uh, but you know, you're always cautious. You know, dogs are around and your name, na- the neighbors, uh, people are always looking out windows stuff. So you kind of get a pre surveillance of the area. If it's not a very safe area to be, you know, especially if there's a lot of drug activity and sales and stuff like that going on. And this is where the person is staying. Um, they've got cameras out in their driveways up in their, you know, so they know traffic coming in and out. So if a vehicle comes in, they don't recognize they're already coming out to the window or looking out the door. So you have to kind of know the, the, uh, and actually think like them. And that's where, being married to my husband helps because he spends a lot of time, you know, at the the prison. So he can relate to me how inmates and these guys think, you know, mm-hmm. drug dealers or arms dealers and rapists, whatever. So he can relate, you know, we, we, you know, talk about that, you know, okay, so where would this guy be? And, you know, what would they be thinking? And he can provide that information so that that intel to me. So that's kind of where David comes in, his expertise comes in and we were able to use his knowledge and stuff uh, when we're going out there looking for these fugitives. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's very helpful. So um, what are, what is the typical reaction when you find somebody? Do they just say, Oh, oh you got me. Okay. I'll go, you know? Oh, yeah. We uh, normally what happens with us is um, once we know uh, our plan is in place and that it's going out, we, uh, I go and I I go out with the uh, the photograph and the warrant on the individual, and I have to contact either the uh, agency that I'm working with, which could be a state agency or you know federal agency, or our local authorities. Let them know what I'm doing, and uh, they pretty much know who I am now. But in the beginning, I had to show my ID and and uh, all my licenses and stuff, uh, describe my vehicle I was driving, what I was wearing, so that they don't pick me up. Instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, um, when, once I go out there and I do a positive ID, in other words, uh, I spot him or her in the house or they're coming out to a vehicle, then I have to get on the phone right away with, with the authorities because I don't have arresting power here in Oregon. Um, and then usually the uh, local sheriffs or the police or the county, they're there within moments. Surround the place. There's the dogs are there. They're in full riot gear, and we go in and take them down. I have to stay out of the 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 arrest, but um, I have to show the you know confirm for a fact that it is the guy. I got to show the photo, and um, they'll go in and arrest him. Interesting. Okay, I have more questions about that. We'll be right back after a break. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. 
For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, a woman private investigator and fugitive agent, has been talking about fugitive recovery and how she goes out to the house and identifies um, an individual and then calls law enforcement to come in and arrest them based on the arrest warrant she has in her possession. So uh, we were just talking, Jennifer, offline about that, that many times you turn the girlfriend, wife, friend, neighbor, or whoever into an informant. Yes, and, that's correct, yeah. And then you have to deal with a, the blowback after the arrest to help them from feeling like they caused a problem. Right. A lot of times they feel threatened. They feel that now they've put the, the, their own lives and their children or their family in jeopardy because if the, he escapes or they, you know, serve 18 months and they're back out, that their lives are in danger. So I, uh, you know, when I'm setting this up, um, you know, I have to really counsel with them and let them know that, uh, you know, we, we and I will do everything we can to make sure that they're protected, that, uh, you know, if they feel that they need to go into hiding or if they need to move, whatever, um, I always, you know, let them know that whatever resources they need, that I, I'm going to guarantee that they get it. Because, I mean, if the this fugitive is really wanted and this the agencies really want me to go out there and get these people, they have to offer some kind of protection for these people that are willing to assist me, you know, and uh, putting their lives actually um, on the line, you know, to get some of these bad guys back off the street. And you don't, uh, nobody discloses to this person of where the information came from, but but often they figure it out. Yeah, sometimes they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and resources actually are available for for people to protect people. Um, yes, there are. Yes, mostly that mostly comes from the federal government, though. 
Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. But if there's counseling or things like that, sometimes the county will help, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with counseling. Um, uh, there's no really kind of monetary uh, uh, help for them, but uh, there's counseling and, and, and things of that nature for them if they need it. And Jennifer, as you know, we have a, somebody waiting online. His name's Joe that uh, I think wants to, uh, we're going to bring on the program and he might have some questions or he might just um, share a conversation with him or just listen with us or just listen. So he'll be coming on in a, in a minute. And so we'll welcome him. Um, so do you have, um, do you have a situation that you can talk about regarding a bail recovery that was a little unusual? Uh, I think the, uh, the, the one that I was talking about where we went into this uh, small little town, um, uh, the guy actually came all the way up on a Greyhound bus from California because he, he was thinking he was coming up to have a rendezvous with his old girlfriend up here in Oregon. And uh, I had to get there before they did. And uh, uh, it was road construction, and it slowed me about 40 minutes. And I was so fearful because by the time I got there, I noted the car that she was going to be picking him up in was already at the hotel and I figured, oh, my God, he's had 40 minutes with her, and this is what she wanted to avoid uh, was any kind of physical contact with him. And But that's what he felt he was coming for. Mm-hmm. And uh, But uh, actually, she was so smart, this gal. She said that she was starving, and let's get something to eat before we go to the hotel. So she was able to delay, you know, and we couldn't contact each other. So, you know, up until she picked him up, we were texting one another back and forth, you know, where we were, what was going on, you know. And then all of a sudden, when she picks him up, there's no contact. So I was thinking that they, he wanted to go straight to the hotel. And she's, you know, in this room with him, terrified. And uh, uh, But luckily, you know, she was thought quick on her feet and said, hey, I'm starving. Let's get something to eat. And that he was wanted smart. To go, yeah. Oh, I want to go through drive through She said, no, I want to go inside. You know, I'm tired of sitting in this car. You know, <laughs> So she was smart, you know, so it kind of it worked out. But the whole time, about 40, 45 minutes, I was panicked that, that uh, you know, she was in a very uh, uh, bad situation with this guy in this room. But uh, by the time I got there, they had only been in the room for like three minutes, you know, and I panicked that the. Uh, he had had his way with her, and she was going to kill me when it was over. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I think Joe's waiting. So, can we bring Joe on? Hello, Joe. Yes. Hello, Francis. How are you? Good. You, so you've been listening to the program. My first time caller, and I'm just listening to what's going on. It, it sounds really interesting here. I'm, it I'm does. from Derby, New York. I'm with the Bureau of Professional Investigations. It's oh. my private oh. agency, and. And it's, uh, I was going to ask, uh, Jennifer how many cases she had, uh, more or less regarding, uh, fugitives cases. I've probably had about 25 in the last couple of years. Okay, I see the, so you specialize in those the way it sounds like. Yes, more and more. I'm getting more and more calls for that, yes. And so, Joe, you're a licensed private investigator in New York? Oh, yes, I am. And you've been an investigator how long? Uh, I've been an investigator, private investigator, since 2008, uh, but I've been investigating since uh, 1970. Uh, I was working for the federal government with the Federal Protective Division. I was investigation. I did investigations, I preliminary investigations on uh, empl- employees for theft, oh, and pilferages. Okay. So you never got involved in... Um 
fugitives, no. Yeah, the fugitives. Okay. All right. Yeah, it sounds very, uh, very interesting, Jennifer. And um, so, uh, do you are you able to get information about the fugitives from various databases or things like that, or, or are they pretty much run, flying under the radar? Uh, well, you can. It all, uh, there are some good databases out there that gives you information, but uh, you remember now these guys are always trying to be in hiding, so they don't like to leave a paper trail. So what I like to do is I just like the basics about these people. Uh, usually I, I want to know about their family, you know, mom, dad, brothers and sisters, even cousins, um, you know, uh, where they lived, you know, if they've lived most of their lives in the same area as family. So I kind of study that a little bit more than, um, you know, what the databases can su- supply because, um, you know, a lot of these people are, are go undercover. They, they don't like to leave a paper trail, so they don't apply for credit. If they work, they work under the table, you know, kind of stuff. So more or less is studying, you know, like I said, where the money is. So if they're, you know, wait, uh, their history shows they work construction all the time. Then most likely that's they're working under the table of construction or landscaping or working in a bar or, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, um, that's what you, I kind of study is their habits, uh, where they kind of hang, where their families are. And then I work from there. And would you say generally are most people that are recovered very upset or do they just kind of acquiesce and, okay, you, you caught me? Oh, no. I, well, well, I'd say 50-50. 50 say, yeah, okay, I got caught. And then others, you know, I'm going to kill you, bitch, when I get out of here kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so I have to always have an alert, you know, if they they get out or whatever. I'm always notified if they, they've been released or something like that. But a that lot just, <laughs> That just gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm married to a real big, tough Hawaiian, so I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that works. Uh, well, Let's let's talk about some other cases. You've had you do cold missing persons cases, and so I'm sure you've gotten into some interesting scenarios with that. Can you have anyone that you can talk about? Yes, I had uh, a woman that uh, disappeared on Halloween about six six years ago, and uh, just just off the face of the earth disappeared. And uh, it's from a small town uh, in Oregon. Uh, they have only, I think, uh, two or three law enforcement, so they really, I mean, they did spend a lot of time on it, the FBI, whatever, but after a while it kind of fizzled out and no one went looking for her, um, and I decided to pick up the case. Um, and uh, every, uh, you know, after doing my investigation, um, I kind of felt I know exactly what happened to her, but it's trying to get... Uh, um, not get law enforcement back involved, but they want me to actually give them the physical proof that this is what actually happened to her. So, uh, but yeah, it's, um, I kind of know what happened to the person and who was responsible for her being missing, but without me giving them the physical proof, uh, law enforcement is just not really going to pick it up again. So it's very frustrating, but I'm not letting it go. So I'm going to work on it till I solve it because someone needs to speak for this woman. Good for you. And who would be your client, or did you just take it on uh, yourself? I took it on myself. I'm, okay. I'm doing this pro bono. I, I I try to do a couple of those a year. Um, and this woman kind of struck me because she's around our, you know, my age and was leading a very successful life. Um, you know, working. Uh, she was divorced. Uh, you know, coming up along the ranks in her business. You know what she was doing for uh, her career, and then all of a sudden she just disappears. Um, 
but uh, after going through through everything and looking at the police reports and the the statements that were taken and stuff like that, I've already found several loopholes and and uh, stories that didn't add up. Uh, met with some witnesses, neighbors, people at work, and um, the stories that were told to law enforcement don't match with what I found. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, they want me to come up with the physical proof. I have a I have a case that's similar to what you talk talking about too, a long term missing persons case that we know exactly, or we believe we know exactly who was responsible, and but of course she's now been missing since 1985, and um, I have just committed to staying with it forever. <laughs> yeah. But in my case, the police department, the police did reopen the case, and they actually did everything they could possibly think of to resolve it and got stuck with not being able to get a search warrant in another state no unfortunately so um so it's very frustrating the cold cases are very frustrating yeah they're frustrating but uh it just gives me more momentum when um i read we reach a roadblock it just makes me want to go after it even more you know because it's a learning you know you learn as you go um and every every case has a uh something that can can contribute to the next case or the previous case, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm not going to give up until um, I know exactly um, where she is and bring her home to those that um, want her to have a proper funeral. Sure, sure. Well, what, um, being a, a woman owner of a business, a private investigator, a fugitive recovery agent, all that is um, kind of a, against the tradition traditional roles for women i'd like to when we come back from break i'd like you to address what advice you would give to women like yourself who maybe are in a related field or maybe have always thought they would make a good investigator and what what they could do about it or what advice you would give them um what kinds of things to stay away from maybe okay okay so uh stay tuned for more from jennifer we'll return just shortly News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest, Jennifer Maganhay. Megan A. has been talking about her fascinating work as a private investigator. Uh, Jennifer, you were going to talk to women who may be listening uh, and give them some insight on what they should do if they wanted to become a private investigator or a fugitive recovery agent. Well, I think for women, um, you know, I, I, especially in my age, we were always told, you know, um, we had certain limits or whatever. For me, though, um, the sky was the limit. Uh, if you have a desire or a, a skill, uh, the the wanting to do something in this field, you know, but being either a private investigator or fugitive recovery, I, I just go after it. Talk to as many people as you can that are in the field. Uh, educate yourself. Um, you know, they have uh, some online courses or, you know, some uh campuses throughout the United States where you can actually go to school. But I think uh, the main thing is uh, being around it, uh, you know, go out on ride-alongs or, uh, you know, interview others that have done, been in the business and have done it for a while, ask questions, take notes, read. Uh, that's what I did. Um, I was just very interested in it. Um, I was never one that would just settle. I had to know why, you know, the sun came up in the morning and you know, <laughs> that kind of, I mean, I just was very uh, aggressive that way. And uh, when someone told me I couldn't do something, then more I wanted to find out why. Mm-hmm. So if you have that desire, you have that, that want that you want to make a change or you want to know about the business, um, surround yourself with it. Uh, talk to other people, read up on it, uh, educate yourself, get out there and, and, and study it. Jennifer, did you have a mentor? Um, actually, no, I didn't. You didn't. No. But you, although you said um, your background or your family background was law enforcement. That must have helped. Yes. My, my mother's side of the family uh, uh, comes from a history, long history of law enforcement, uh, FBI, CIA. Um, and I used to, as a child, listen to the stories that she used to tell about her cousin and, you know, what he did with the CIA. And I was just so fascinated with that. But my mother's like, no, we girls don't do that, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, that's not for us. You know, that's that's too dangerous, you know, and more intrigued I was. you know. So uh, I used to talk to her about it and do a lot when co- the computers started coming out there, Internet. I used to go out there and order books. And, uh, you know, when I was working in, in the paralegal world and I have to go with law enforcement to do along with an investigation, more and more I got intrigued with it. Uh, I went on on ride along. So when I first moved here to Oregon, uh, I got involved in community development and and community policing, you know, because I wanted to know, you know, the good areas, the bad areas, you know, where the drug manufacturing was going on, where prostitution was going. You know, I mean, I was just very intrigued with it and just, you know, sometimes late at night, just go out and drive around uh, because nighttime is very different than daytime in neighborhoods. So, you know, some neighborhoods look really quiet during the day, but at night it's like, oh, my God. So, you know, one o'clock in the morning, I'm in my car driving around seeing what's going on at night. 
And I don't think many many people really realize how difficult it is for a woman to break in to this business, particularly well, anyone for that matter, particularly if excuse me, I'm got a frog in my voice. Um, particularly if you have no law enforcement background. If you have a law enforcement background, it's fairly easy to move into the private sector. But right. without that law enforcement background, it's quite difficult. Right. Right. I think for me, what made it made it easier was that I had the paralegal uh, background for so many years. Um, and a lot of what I did was, you know, criminal litigation, civil litigation. Um, uh, I worked in family law, domestic cases, you know, abuse, incest. So, you know, working those cases, talking to the children, talking to the victims, uh, you know, it helped just to develop those skills, that sensitivity that I think that women have. Uh, I'm not saying that men don't have sensitivity, but women, have, <laughs> you know, more of a, a, a keen uh, sense of things. You know, uh, you can tell when people are fibbing to you or lying, you know, when kids say, I didn't spill that milk, he did it, you know, kind of thing. You know, you see certain manner- mannerisms that people do um, and as a woman. Uh, I think those th- those enhanced our skills. And I think, you know, I hate say it, but I think women make really good investigators. I, yeah, um, I think that's true. Yeah. Of course, I'm a little biased, but yeah, I think yeah. that's true. <laughs> Joe, what do you think? You think women make good investigators? Uh, Is yes, still I, with us? Yes, I, <laughs> am, am I being too biased? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, Not really. That's probably an unfair question on the line. <laughs> And I apologize for that. Um, but, but yes, women, um, women do have a different way of relating to people. That's for sure. I think that, um, because we have traditionally grown up to be in caretaking positions, uh, that translates into, uh, connecting with people on a different level many times. And again, like you said, not that men, there are some men that have that same ability, but, um, it, it, there is uh, some differences. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, too, as you grow older too, you know, like uh, you know, I'm I'm the mother of four, and I have uh, uh, eleven grandchildren, and uh, you know, you've, you've been around a little while, and so you know, I think that that also, as an older woman, helps too. I mean, when you're younger, it seems to be more uh, women it seem to be more competitive with each other when you're younger in your your twenties and early thirties. But I think as we grow older. It's less about competition and more about uh, ability and skill and and um, you know what we've learned through the years. You want we women want to share that and have kind of a camaraderie and uh, a sisterhood. So you know I get a lot of calls from people that are either you know especially women that are just getting into the business, being a private investigator or thinking about it. They ask me you know uh, you know do you mentor? And I said well I'm so busy I really don't have time for it, but. You know, this is what I suggest you do if you're really interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I, I, you know, tell them some of the things that I did when I first got started uh, in the business. But um, I think as we grow, women grow older, I, I don't mind sharing the things that I've learned over the, the years. But I think it's also instinct has a lot to do with it. You know, some people have it and some people don't, you know, mm-hmm. or people have the ability to read people really good and other people don't. So I think there has to be some kind of of. Um, uh, natural thing there to begin with. I just don't think it's something that you, you know, all of a sudden you're you're working in fashion one day and decide, oh, now I want to be a private investor. Right. Yeah, you have to have something in, in you that 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 helps you in that in that field. And a main component is tenacity. You know, 
Exactly. Not being deterred, not being easily deterred because investigations, as you know, as we all know, um, take a lot of tenacity and a lot of uh, uh, taking another path if the first path didn't work and all of those kind of things that go into tracking somebody down or tracking down a clue or just resolving some issue for a client. Yes, being able to think outside the box, you know. Having backup plan and then a backup to the backup plan kind of thing. And we always have to keep in mind, too, that this is a legal process. So no matter what, people people don't come to private investigators unless they have a problem. So that problem typically can become a legal process. And and we always have to keep in mind that whatever private investigators do needs to be within within the boundaries of the law, within um, uh, the confines of the case and – being able to present it so it could be ultimately, if needed, presented in court and not have evidence dropped through the cracks because it wasn't handled properly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. You're uh, welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, feel free to call in anytime. And uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. Uh, you, you are a delightful guest. And um, i just like to... Uh, uh, talk about my featured sponsor of the week, which is IRB Search, a data provider who serves investigative professionals and caters exclusively to private investigators, process servers, bail bondsmen, judgment recovery, and repossession specialists. If you're interested in IRB Search, go to www.irbsearch.com, irbsearch.com. Upcoming the next uh, few weeks, um, Massachusetts PI John LaJoy will be talking about the Natalie Holloway case that he was involved in. Texas PI Kelly Riddle will be discussing cheating spouses and their investigations regarding that area. And then California private investigator Olivia Robinson and attorney Mark Mermelstein will be talking about resources for fraud victims. So... Um, with that, do you have anything else you'd like to say, Jennifer, to uh, our listeners? No, just, uh, you know, stick with it, uh, educate yourself, and uh, go, go, go. <laughs> Thank you so much. You, you're, you're definitely an inspiration, Jennifer. Thanks for being on the show, and I look forward to watching your activities in the future. Thank you. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. I'm Francie Kaler. It's PIs Declassified. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.